Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Well, I'm not sure if you're aware, I'm sure you are, but that around the world, there are internationally recognized symbols for being in disaster. Probably the most notable one is the symbol SOS, Save Our Souls. You've often heard in movies when a plane is going down, people screaming out, Mayday, Mayday. If you shoot red stars into the sky, it means that you are in terrible trouble. Now, I've never personally needed these international distress symbols, but I do think that they've got them wrong, particularly in a modern context. I think there are three symbols that far more accurately describe absolute distress and devastation. No Wi-Fi, no signal, no battery. I mean, if I don't have those things in my life, I am in a flat panic. I mean, I can't even then Google, how do you spell SOS? If there's no Wi-Fi, there's no signal, there's no battery, I'm completely disconnected from the world around me, it seems, and I just don't know what to do. Before lockdown happened, um, I needed to help my mom pick up her car. And so we went together to an area that was very unfamiliar to the both of us. Um, But my battery was running quite low. And because of the area that we were in, because of the very heavy traffic, we were relying on GPS to get home. So my mom was following me. But as I was driving, I saw my mom take a wrong turn. I tried to phone her, but my battery died. So I turned around, I tried to follow her to try catch up to her, but then I realized that my car was running out of petrol. I was literally on zero kilometers. I had to stop to fill up. I couldn't find her after that. I tried and I tried and I tried. Not only that, but my mom's battery was low, so she wasn't able to go phone anybody to try find her way home. It was absolute panic and absolute disaster. And in that moment, I mean, my mind went all over the place. I mean, what happens if my mom drives all the way to Twia Biffles mit in Skutmors Dutgeskitfontein? What happens if along the way she gets attacked and baked into a pie? Who's going to make my Sunday lunch? I'm going to need to find another babysitter. I panicked because being disconnected, I felt lost. I felt anxious. I was worried for my mom. Eventually, we made it home, and everyone was okay. Nobody was baked into a pie. But I think all of us can know, can identify what it feels like to be disconnected from the world around you. If you take your phone or your computer or maybe a device at home, for example, they really are amazing things. I mean, your phone has an inherent amount of capacity for information in it. Maybe you've got one of those phones with like 250 gigs of storage on there. That's amazing. However, when it's connected to the internet, it's now gone from its limited capacity to an almost infinite amount of knowledge. If your phone has a battery, I mean, all of our phones have a battery iPhones have less and less battery in them, it seems, these days. But on its own, it's got a certain amount of power. But when it's connected, I mean, it can go indefinitely. Your phone might have a capacity to have a certain amount of contact in it. But the moment it's connected to Facebook or Twitter or social media, it's now able to access billions of people all around the world. I'm sure you've guessed the parallel, that we are like our phones, Like our phones, we all have an inherent ability for information, a great capacity. Some people, like Pastor Andre, great capacity for information. Some people, like me, are just a little bit more limited. 
we all have a capacity for contact. We, you know, we all know people. We've got, all got a measure of influence. Maybe you've got a capacity for power, a capacity for strength, for emotional or mental or spiritual strength. But no matter how much capacity we've got, it is still limited. However, when we are connected, when we're connected to God, connected to His Word, connected to His church, connected to His people, well, suddenly we go from having this finite ability to infinite potential. The same is true, though. When we disconnect, we might be able to go on for a while, but like a phone running out of battery, eventually we will run out and we will run dry. Now, this isn't just with, with God and with His church. You know, we might disconnect from marriage, from our dreams, from friendships, from our hopes for the future. And once we've done that, we might be able to go for a while, but eventually our strength will run out and we will run die, one dry. Church, in this year of keeping hope alive, we need to make sure that we stay connected. Stay connected to God, to His Word, to His church, to His people, to His purposes, and so the title of the message today is simply, Don't Disconnect. You know, we were designed to connect, church. At the very beginning, we see when God first created Adam, very quickly afterwards, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he created Eve. We've got this inbuilt desire and need and drive to connect. This time in lockdown, especially when we were at lockdown level five, we struggled because we couldn't connect. Even the most staunch of phlegmatic and reserved and introverted people who love being on their own, they even reach a limit saying, look, I need people. I need to connect with someone. It's been difficult when we haven't been able to connect at church like we normally do over the weekends, to see each other, to hug each other, to stand by each other, to hold our hands while we cry over the loss of a loved one. We need to and we want to connect. Thank God for church online, though, because it's meant that we can still connect with each other, through the chats, still connect to God, with His Word, with His church. Thank God that we can still connect online. You know, church, when we don't connect, our lives will always deteriorate. It's damaging. It's dangerous if we disconnect. It's important to stay connected to God's house because it's His vehicle for salvation. It's important to stay connected to God because He is our source. It's important to stay connected to God's people because they are His tools to help us, to build us, to be accountability for us. If we disconnect, there are dreadful consequences. In the Bible, we read the story of two men who perfectly illustrate the power of connection and the disaster of disconnection. And these two men are Abraham and his nephew, Lot. Abraham was a man of incredible faith. I mean, it seems that as you read his story, at every opportunity, he builds an altar to worship the Lord. He's a, a, a man of worship, and whatever God asked for of him, he so willingly gave to the Lord. When God instituted the covenant of circumcision, Abraham said, sure, Lord, no problem. When God said, Lord, um, said to Abraham, I want your son, offer your only son Isaac as a sacrifice, Abraham did it without hesitation, even though God stopped him at the very end. His life was founded on worship, and he lived his life connected to God. In contrast, however, his nephew, Lot, we never see him engaged in an act of worship. We never see him trying to do what God wants him to do. 
He always needed saving. He consistently made poor decisions. Even though he might have been counted righteous, he only just got through with his life in the end. He makes me think about this quote from A.W. Tozer. He said, it's a solemn thing and no small scandal in the kingdom to see God's children starving while actually seated at the Father's table. So many Christians are living their lives disconnecting from God. They might be saved in their salvation, but they're just disconnecting, and so they never get to uh, enjoy the fullness, the greatness of the riches of the glory of the presence of God. That's not how we're supposed to be living our lives, church. But perhaps because of circumstances or low convictions or whatever it might be, we find that we're just not able to really fully commit to God and to what He's doing in our lives. We disconnect slowly and slowly and slowly, Now, church, now is not the time for us to be disconnecting. Now is the time for us to stay connected. So today I'd like to share with you just a couple thoughts. Some of them are based on the story of Abraham and Lot. Some of them aren't. Some of them are based more on the broader counsel of Scripture. But I pray that all of them might encourage you today. And what I've realized about disconnecting is that often it doesn't work the way it works when when you disconnect a cable. It doesn't always happen in a pop. Most often i found that when Christian lives disconnect from God, it's like being in a Wi-Fi hotspot. And you're walking further away and the signal gets weaker and weaker and weaker until it's finally gone. Perhaps today you might find yourself in the space of being disconnecting. Well, there's still something that you can do and you can still connect with God today. So as we look at the contrast between those who are disconnecting and those who are connected, maybe put a signal emoji in the chat wherever you are and let's jump straight in. Point number one. The first point is that the disconnecting love people and self more than God, but the connected love God more than people and self. I've made this the first point because in many ways it is the foundation of the rest of them. Church, it is our great privilege and responsibility to love God more than anything else in the world. Jesus encourages us in Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus speaking says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice all the alls. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all all your mind. It requires everything within us to truly give God the best that we have to offer. Jesus says this is the greatest. It is the great and the first commandment. The second commandment, to love our neighbors like we love ourselves, is like it. It's not equal to it. It's not as great as the first one. It's not at the same level as the first one. It is second. However, What we see in the world today is that people have changed the scripture to rather say, you shall love your neighbor with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love God as yourself. We've seen in the world today that there is a great push for humanitarianism around the world. And there certainly is no denying that there is incredible need. Many lives are living in incredible plight There certainly is a need for us to fulfill our call to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's why we've got the Rivers Foundation. 
It's why, like Pastor Andre mentioned, that we've done three million meals during lockdown to help the world around us. It's why we so often mention the foundation so that you can be a part of what we're doing. It's why there's Mandela Month. In fact, this month, we've got such a wonderful opportunity to do what we should be doing on a day-to-day basis and to help people around us. There certainly is an incredible need. But great trouble comes when we untether our love for people from our love for God. Because then we start elevating humanness to the level of God, and we start diminishing God to the level of a human. We need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. It is the greatest, and it is the first. You know, church, when we love our neighbors with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, we start to champion the cause of people instead of the cause of Christ or the cause of God. We champion people's needs, people's lifestyles, people's desires, often to the detriment of God's will. It's why abortion is so prevalent in the world today, because we champion the needs of people before we champion the needs of God. And because many people see that a fetus is not yet a real person, it's able to be discarded. But what about God's need? What about God's need for that child? God's need to use that child as a vessel of hope and influence and perhaps even provision for other people. It is for this very reason that we see that the world is redefining marriage, redefining family, redefining sexuality and gender. It's all because of human need, but God is the one who designed marriage. God designed family. God designed sexuality and gender. And to tamper with those things is to tamper with God's plan, with God's needs, and with God's design. God designed those things in a particular way to be constructs for the world that we live in. If we move away from that, we move away from God's needs. We're putting people's needs before God's. So when we untether our love for people from our love for God, in the end, we are kind of committed to seeing every human idea all the way through to its conclusion, which is a slippery slope for us to live our lives on. If we love people more than we love God, if we love self more than we love God, we're disconnecting from purpose and we're disconnecting from God's power. As we read the story of Abraham, we see that he did indeed love God more than anything else in this world. And he never let people or their desires or their virtues to dethrone the Lord in his heart. In Genesis chapter 22, it's a chapter when God honors, um, or Abraham honored God's instruction to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And he woke up early this next morning. He took two servants along with him, but only to a particular point. It says in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkeys, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. I think Abraham recognized that his ability to love God fully through sacrifice and obedience would have been hindered if he put the needs of people along ahead of his, rather, the needs of people ahead of God's needs. If he felt sorry for them, if he felt like they were being left out, if he thought, oh, shame, maybe they want to worship as well. Well, no, that was actually irrelevant. He knew, no, no, I've got to put God's needs first and honor him completely. And what's the result of that? When Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, the Lord stopped him and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Abraham said. 
Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything for him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Thereafter, God powerfully reaffirms his covenant with Abraham, the promises to Abraham, the promises for his family, the promises for his future. You see, church, whenever we put God first, whenever we love him first, whenever we elevate him above people, that's when we see his true power. And that really is the beauty of it, that when we first love God, we receive the incredible promises that he has for us. So if you want to stay connected to hope for your family, for your future, for your finances, Love God more than you love people and yourself. Remember, people are limited, but God is not. So let's not bring God down to a human level. Let's love him first. And in so doing, we can bring people up to God's level. Point number two. Hope everyone is doing okay today. I would say it's getting very quiet in this Presbyterian church, but there's nobody else in here, so it's quiet anyway. Point number two. The disconnecting blur the line, but the connected draw the line. The Bible tells us a lot about the living arrangements of Lot. The word says that Abraham and Lot parted ways because the land couldn't sustain them and all of their livestock. And so Abraham, or rather Lot, started to live in the direction of Sodom. It was a city that was notorious for their sin. He pitched his tent close by. At one stage, he was taken into hostage through a battle around the area. When he returned from being held hostage, he then settled within the city of Sodom. Now, they really were notorious for their sin. And you'd think that Lot would have had the wherewithal to say, look, I probably shouldn't go there. If I know what God wants for my life and I know what they stand for, I probably shouldn't associate with them. Nothing ever good comes from going to dark places. Just ask Simba what happened when he went to the elephant graveyard. But just because the area looked appealing, because there were many benefits there, it seems as though instead of drawing a line, Lot blurred the line. Now, God intended to destroy the city. We read about it in Genesis chapter 18, where God came down in the manifestation of three men, and God met with Abraham. God shared with Abraham what he was intending to do to destroy the city of Sodom. Two of those three men, I believe it's the pre-incarnation of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, went down to Sodom to see what was happening. And while, when they got there, they got to the town square. Lot saw them in the town square. Lot urged them to come home with him so that he could show hospitality to them. And this is what we see in Genesis chapter 19. Before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came, with you, tonight, or came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do to them what you like. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. It's a heavy scripture, church. But just consider what we have read. In a city that's notorious for their sin, Lot calls these people my friends. In other translation, he says, my brothers. He goes so far as trying to even negotiate with them and say, no, don't do that. Instead, here are my daughters who've never slept with a man. Take them instead and do to them whatever you want. This is the story of a man who has blurred the lines. He spent his life disconnected from God. 
And at the most crucial point, he put his life and his daughters at risk. Church, this wasn't the time for him to be diplomatic. This wasn't the time for him to be kind. It wasn't the time for him to try and negotiate or to compromise. It was the time for him to draw a line. What we see is that Abraham was the complete opposite. In a couple chapters earlier, when Abraham went to save Lot from hostage, when the king of Sodom was being attacked, when the king of Sodom tried to bless him and give something to him, this is what Abraham said. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you say, I have made Abraham rich. I think Abraham was saying that, look, they, they'd had a measure of engagement up until that point, but it had reached a limit because their values were so radically different. Abraham drew a line saying, I'm not going to receive anything from you. An unpopular perspective? Absolutely. Probably offended the king of Sodom? Without a doubt. But Abraham loved God more than he loved people, which meant that he had to draw a line somewhere along the line. And church, we are the same. In the world that we're living in today, it is more and more necessary for us to know the truth because when we know the truth and are convicted of the truth, then we are empowered to draw a line. And just by the way, this sentiment going around the world that says live your truth, it's nonsense because there is only one truth. It is God's truth. And the moment we start trying to live our own truth, well, then everybody's blurring the line. It's either God's truth or human existence. There's no hybrid between the true. But because people love God and self more than they do, or because people love people and self more than they love God, they blur the line. You know, the progression that we see with Lot is something that we see all over the world today. He saw an area that was appealing, and so he moved closer. In a major life event, he then moved a bit closer. He grew comfortable, he grew closer. He became more familiar, and so he grew closer. Eventually, he called people who should have been his enemies, my friends and my brothers. It's the same progression that we see with affairs, pornography, alcoholism, drug use, toxic and violent relationship attitudes, propensities, desires. Church, it's time for us to draw a line. So let's stop making excuses for us to blur the line. Because if you're still with a guy because you believe that you're helping him to get saved, but you're compromising on your, on your purity, you are missionary dating it is time to draw a line. If you're being abused in your relationship, draw the line. If you're addicted, draw the line. If you're holding unforgiveness, draw the line. And the beauty is that the moment we draw the line, suddenly we find ourselves in the position where we're able to draw on God's strength to make sure that line doesn't get blurred and we can live in the true fullness of what God, what God has for our lives. Point number three. The disconnecting listen to themselves, but the connected talk to themselves. In Psalm 42, verse 11, it says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Do you have a person in your world who you perhaps intentionally avoid asking the question, How are you? Because you know that you're going to get one hang of an answer. 
Because if you ask that question, you know you're going to hear all about their pet hamsters, gout all the way to their neighbors, grandmothers, cousins, arthritis all the way to their financial woes, every single detail of everything that has gone wrong. Do you have a person like that in your world? If you don't, you probably are that person. Just watch out. But truthfully, we all have the potential to be that person to ourselves. You know, the first two questions that are asked in that psalm, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? The answer to those questions can roll around in our head nonstop 24-7. Downcast because of COVID, disturbed because of work, upset because of losses, frustrated because of failure. It's a nonstop monologue running around in our brains. There's a beautiful uh, quote by the um, famous Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the Westminster Chapel leader for 30 years. He said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self Listen for a moment. I will speak with you. This is exactly what the psalmist is doing. He's asking a rhetorical question that he doesn't allow himself to answer because the answer is actually irrelevant. The truth is that the response to whatever that answer might be is exactly the same. Put your hope in God. Many people are disconnecting more and more because they're listening to, them, um, they're listening to themselves. They're listening to these voices, these challenges, the, the words inside their brains knocking around, telling themselves how bad things are. So we bemoan our spouses and we self-diagnose our diseases. We complain about the country. We move further and further and further away from the truth of God's instruction. But we must stop and say, Saul, come on now. I'm going to speak to you. God is good, so put your hope, your hope in him. We will yet see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's why we must know the word, church. That's why we must hold on to his promises. That's why we must keep hope alive so that we can talk to ourselves. We can challenge ourselves. We can spur ourselves on. No matter what's going on in our minds, we can remind ourselves of the promises of God. Find promises of God in the word for your situation, church, and defend them. Hold on to them. Remind yourself of them. Because as we hear ourselves, as we listen to ourselves, well, we'll just disconnect. But as we talk to ourselves, remind ourselves of the goodness of God, we will stay connected to God, to hope, and we will see the season through. The final point that I'd like to share with you today is that the disconnecting see with their eyes, but the connected see with their faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 to 18 says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. There's no getting around that what we're seeing today is incredibly hard. COVID numbers are scary, especially when it starts coming so close to home, when loved ones are being infected, when loved ones pass away. We're seeing people grieving, there's heartache, there's corruption, businesses are closing. We're seeing many difficult things. And the more trouble we see, the more we will despair if our seeing is not balanced by faith. On the other hand, the more opportunity or the more benefit we see, the more we will compromise our values if our seeing is not balanced with faith. It's always a very natural response 
to move away from God when we only look with our eyes. We see this with Abraham and with Lot as well. Abraham and Lot, they both had great wealth. As I mentioned before, the land couldn't sustain them. They had to separate. And so Abraham said to Lot, you choose where you want to go. And this is what we read in Genesis chapter 12. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself at the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other, and Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. Lot looked with his eyes, and he saw an area that just looked wonderful, looked like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. I mean, it was so appealing for him immediately to say, hey, that is the place that I want. He looked with his eyes. However, his looking took him to a situation where Sodom was on his doorstep. But he, he kind of brushed that off because, look, the area is so good. It's so wonderful. He just didn't see the danger of getting too close. And we see this happening all the time in church. Perhaps with work, somebody gets a promotion. They have to move somewhere else. It's a great opportunity. But before they get there, they don't look at the churches. They don't see what structures around them to help them to grow spiritually. And so they move further away for a great opportunity. But in so doing, they disconnect from the Lord and from his purposes. Church, we need to make sure that we're not just seeing with our eyes, but that we're seeing with our faith. And how was it that Abraham was able to so confidently let Lot pick, not worrying about what he would be left with? It's because he fully knew and was confident in the promises of God that said, wherever you go, you will be blessed. Wherever you go, I will be with you. And that is what we need to do as well, church. When we're surrounded by so many things that in the natural might either seem appealing or devastating, we need to hold on to the promise like Abraham did that says, I know the Lord is with me no matter where I go. Perhaps you're disconnecting from your family because you're seeing the hurt from your parents. Disconnecting from your marriage because you're seeing your spouse's unfaithfulness. Maybe you're disconnecting from your dreams because you've received so many rejections or disconnecting from God because you've only experienced pain. Church, we must see our pain. We must see COVID. We must see our losses and our opportunities all through the eye of faith. And I know that it's easy to say that. We mustn't trivialize our darkest moments with just a band-aid that says, oh, just trust the Lord. But that, that's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is that when we see our experiences through the eyes of faith, looking at what is unseen, then suddenly our faith gives meaning and substance to our most difficult and painful moments. It's how our testimony is formed. So even in, our, in the midst of ultimate loss, the Bible says that we don't mourn like those who have no hope. We mourn with hope because we have faith. We struggle with hope because we have faith. We take good opportunities because we have faith. We fight for our marriages, for our children, for our businesses, for our health because we have faith. We cannot see it. We haven't yet received the ultimate goal, the thing that we're working towards, but it's there. And our faith carries us through it. So we must hold on to the promises of God because it takes faith. And faith isn't some nebulous, wishy-washy thing that we tell children to have because it just seems like a good idea. No, faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The certainty of the things not yet seen. And again, I'll read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison 
as we look to the things that are seen, but not to the things that are, or we look to the things that are unseen, not to the things that are seen. He can say that what we experience here on earth is light and momentary, because in the light of eternity, when we're considering what is waiting for us in eternity, whatever we're going through on this side of eternity, it is light. It is momentary. It is limited. We can keep hope alive because when we're connected to God, we know that there is a glorious future waiting for us, even if we can't see it. On this day four years ago, my dad suffered a terrible stroke. It left him paralyzed on the whole left-hand side of his body. He went from a man who was fit and healthy and strong I mean, the fittest 68-year-old that I had ever known to a man who really battled with his body. We have prayed. We have trusted the Lord. We have stirred our faith. We've prayed for his complete healing, and we continue to do so. But it hasn't come yet. And it may just be that that complete healing only happens in eternity. Church, what is seen over these past four years, it's been difficult. But I think what is unseen is so powerful. Now, my dad is now mostly in his bedroom, but while he's in his bedroom, he is praying. Praying for his family, for his grandchildren, for his wife. He's praying as needs come, to his, uh, come past his way. He's trusting God for breakthrough. Who knows how God might have needed to use those prayers to affect the world around us. We haven't seen what is happening. What is unseen is, is far off it might seem. What is seen is difficult, but thank God that God uses all things to the good of those who love him. My mom has stood by my dad's side through all of this, and she's had an opportunity to fully express what she vowed to him on the wedding day, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. It has been difficult for her, but she is rising up and conquering, and I can't wait for her one day when she reaches eternity to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, for sustaining her help, for staying connected in the midst of great trouble. Church, I don't know what's happening in your world. I don't know how difficult what is seen might be for you, but what is unseen gives us an unconquerable hope that even one day in eternity, all that we have right now, all that we're battling right now, it will make sense, it will be gratified, and the joy of that day will far outweigh the pain that we have today. That's why we can say this is light, it's momentary, because we know that eternity is waiting for us. And just in this moment now, as we come to a close, if you have been disconnecting from God, if you've been moving further and further away from Him, I just want to encourage you to take this moment right now to realign with Him and say, Lord, I'm coming back to you. Lord, I've been disconnecting. I've been walking further away from you. I can feel my signal with you is just getting weaker and weaker. I know I need to get back to being with you. Church, He's not cross with you. He's not disappointed in you. He gave Jesus for us that we might live in rightness with him. So stop disconnecting. Stop moving further away. Come back to him today. Maybe you've never actually been connected with God. Maybe you've heard about church, about faith, about the Bible, but you've never actually fully understood what it means to be saved. Well, what it means to be saved is to acknowledge that we can't do things on our own, to acknowledge that we are actually sinful people, to repent of our sinful ways, but to receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ because Christ died for every single one of us. And right where you are at home, 
Uh, I would say in a coffee shop, but they're closed at the moment. Wherever you find yourselves, maybe in your car, right now you can simply open up your heart to the Lord. Say, Lord, I need you. I acknowledge that I need a Lord and a Savior. I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. Please help me to be connected with you. If today you'd like to pray that prayer, if you'd like to connect with God or reconnect with God, let's just take a moment together now to pray, to commit ourselves to Him and to trust Him to help us strengthen that that connection with Him. Let's pray, church. Our dear Father, we thank You so much that You have always been so willing for us to connect with You. And that no matter what our experience is, our failures, our victories, that You've always walked closely with us. Lord, for those who are reconnecting with You today, I pray that You'd help them, Lord. Help them to repent, to hand over to you what they need to hand over and to just step right back into that wonderful joy of knowing you. And Lord, for all those people who want to connect with you for the first time today, I pray you'd help them to give meaning to the words that we are about to pray now. Church, if you want to accept Christ into your life, won't you pray these words with me? Say, dear Father, today I receive the free gift of Jesus Christ so that I can be connected with you. I acknowledge my sin. I repent of my failures and I receive the wholeness and the salvation that is only found in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your healing and thank you for your grace that have now given me the confidence to know that I am a child of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 